I remember very well, it was a few years back, but the um, mission um, circles in our church were advertising that there was a special missionary speaker in Versailles, and I was asked to drive the van for anyone who was interested to go hear this missionary speaker. I had not heard of this speaker before, and I was intrigued of what would transpire during this, um, this, this talk that he would give. And I, I've never forgotten the words that he said. They really hit home with me because of the, the truth that he spoke. Um, but he began by saying, I don't think I'm very religious or even very spiritual. And he said, throughout my whole life, I have been surrounded by people who just showed great um, spirituality and I really looked up to them and never more so than training and going into the mission field. But he said, I just don't feel very religious. And so that piqued my attention like, but you're a missionary. You're, you're supposed to feel something more than that. And he began to explain that he was a missionary because... God called him, and that he, he had this feeling as a, an MD that he needed to go to the mission field, and he couldn't shake that. It was just a part, it became a part of who he was, and it was something that he had to do despite his own feeling of lack of being religious. He felt God's presence calling him in a clear way, and he began sharing stories of how bad he was and good everyone else was. So one of the stories that he told was he was in the Congo. And as he was serving as a medical doctor in a hospital facility along the, the riverbanks. And he was just amazed at the faith of the people around him because he considered his faith to be very poor. And the story that he shared showed that. He said they got a call on the, the radio, on the, the shortwave radio, the ham radio, from a hospital that was like 50 miles upstream. And the call was, there were a band of marauders who came down the river on a barge and completely decimated their hospital. Did horrible things. What equipment they didn't steal, they broke. And so they were calling down to warn them to get all of your equipment, all your people, go deep into the jungle so they cannot destroy it. And so as this message was shared with the, the staff, at the hospital who were all Christian, then he gave the orders. He said, we've got to pack everything up and get it into the jungle. And then the nurses, who were local people, said, no. And he's like, you don't understand. Did you not hear what's happening and what's coming down the river? We've got a, probably a day to be able to, to get everything up. And the women said, no, we don't. You see, our God is a big God, and we have faith. And he's like, you don't understand. And so they absolutely refused, and then they walked down to the river and began an all-day prayer meeting at the river. And they prayed, and they prayed, and then that evening, here comes this large barge filled with men, and it had a, an outboard motor on it, and they began making the turn to come in to the bank where their hospital is at. And as that barge was making its turn into where they were at, the engine died. And the barge began just spinning in a circle, 
and went on downstream and the women waved as the barge went down the Congo. And he just stood there and he was incredulous. And he's like, you're right. Your faith is much bigger than mine and I don't understand it, but I understand what I just saw that happened and you are faithful people and I am proud to be associated with you. And he told several other stories of where he was just answering his calling to be a, a medical doctor in remote areas that God was calling him to be, but he saw where God was working, um, but he was being obedient in what he was called to do. This morning we're looking into the book of Amos, and as I look at this, this prophet, who's called a minor prophet, not because of what he's saying is minor in any way, shape, or form, but these are called minor prophets because they have short books compared to Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, but what they have to say, there's nothing minor about them. But we're looking in, in Amos, and Amos is a shepherd. He watches sheep, and that's his profession. And we don't have a clear picture exactly what the wording was, but it was clear that God called him to be a prophet to share a message with Israel. Now, the the setting here we're about 150 years after what we read on um, a couple weeks ago that the the two kingdoms are split. Um, Israel has left and, and gained its own dependence from Judah below, and so he. Amos is from this little town, tiny little place called Tekoa, and it's actually in the southern um, country of Judah toward the north. It's close to the border. And at the beginning of the book, it says that God called him to speak to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom. So he, just like that missionary doctor, he leaves his, his career for a little bit, and he goes and he does what God calls him to do. And he goes and shares a message to Israel, the northern kingdom. And as we look at and see that, that God called the simple shepherd person without an education and does not have a history of, of being part of the priestly line or his, his father we don't know of was a prophet. He's completely separated from that. But wherever he was at and what he had, God called him for a very important purpose. And I think for all of us, it's important to recognize that God does that. God can call us from where we're at right now to call us to a new place. And it may just not be geographically. It may be something that's all happening right here in our heart. But God can call us to a completely different direction that we're going in right now. In all ways, shapes, and forms... And so it's important that we're ready and prepared for that. Because as Amos is being called in to speak to this northern kingdom of Israel, um, he's got a lot to go against. The, the king now is King Rehoboam II. And as a king, looking at politics and power, he's done well. They've gained a lot of wealth. Um, Israel has defeated all the local enemies around them. And they're doing well. And... It's a wealthy country now. This northern kingdom of Israel is being wealthy. But as it is rich in money, 
It's very poor in other areas that are even more important in God's eyes. Israel is being poor because it's mistreating people around them and people in their own midst based on their social position in life and through many other things. And so God is calling Amos to go speak to them as he leaves his home. And it's interesting in the first chapter, um, as we have this, this oratory from um, Amos, and he is speaking in the town of Bethel. Um, Bethel, by the way, means house of God. And so he's in this city, and a temple has been built. And this temple is filled with idols from other gods. And this temple, is, it rivals, and it's a, a duplicate of the one in Jerusalem. But they're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping God in this place. So he's got a big job ahead of him. So as he goes and he's at the, the site of this place in Bethel, he begins speaking. And the first thing that he begins saying is how bad all the neighboring countries and cities are. And he names like five of them, all the way up north to Damascus and down and around, and names all these cities around Israel and Judah. But he's making a target, and Israel is in the city of that target. And I'm sure as the people are listening to this strange prophet from the south who has come up, they're, they're amening at first, because he's talking about how bad those people from Damascus are. And how bad those people from Moab are. But as he keeps talking and they're saying their amens about how bad all these others are. And then he finally, he says, the people of Judah. And I'm sure the, the Israelite people up there are thinking, that's right. There are brothers down there in Judah, but they're not perfect. They think they're perfect. But you preach against them. Amen, brother. And that's where we're at now in verse 4 of chapter 2. And as Amos is speaking, even as a shepherd person he is, he has a style of poetry about him as he is speaking. And so for each of these judgments, he's talking about the city. He has this phrase for the sin, three sins of, or even for four. So as he's saying this is a statement, it's like, it's a euphemism, like in English, we might say, and then the straw that broke the camel's back, or, or a phrase, something like that. So let's just dive in. As he's hitting now the southern kingdom, Judah, but remember he's in Israel, the northern kingdom, as he is talking. For the three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and, not have, and have not kept his decrees. And I'm sure the people are saying, amen. Those, those southerners down in Judah, they think they're so high and mighty, but they haven't listened because they have been led astray by false gods. The gods of their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah, and I will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. And they're, so far, they're all about this prophet from the south. You know, he's all that. The things that he is saying are ringing true, and all these other people are doing badly. But as the prophet continues, he spent about this much on the other kingdoms and even on Judah, but he's getting ready to spend this much energy on the northern kingdom of Israel. In verse 6, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. 
They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I am destroyed. I destroyed the Amorites before them. Though they were as tall as cedars and strong as oaks, I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the wilderness to give you a land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youth. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. And commanded the prophets not to prophesy. So he's saying, I was inspiring. I, as God, was inspiring the young people to take the Nazarite vow, to dedicate themselves fully to me, and to be prophets and to speak. But you Israelites have denounced that. You try to get the young people who want to be Nazarites where they have to take a vow that they will not drink the fruit of the vine. And you're trying to force wine down them. The prophets who I am calling to speak words, you're, you're keeping them out from doing that. You're silencing their mouths. In 13, now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not go away, and horsemen will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. As he pronounces judgment on the Israelites, he uses the technique which we can understand of, of talking about the others first. And I think that's important for us to recognize as well as we live life. It is so easy to see the sins of those people. It is so easy to look at our neighbors and to see what they're doing wrong. It's so easy to see um, what our community is doing wrong. It's so easy to see what our, our school board is doing wrong, for what our politicians are doing wrong. But what's most important for us to look at is what am I doing wrong? As we point toward others, God is calling us to point to ourselves and look to ourselves and start there and recognize are we being the people? Am I being the person that God is calling me to be? The prophet here is calling them to look at the issue of justice. Now, looking at justice when it used to be, before I began to understand what biblical justice was, I had a very narrow understanding of what justice was. My narrow understanding of justice is that when someone does something that's wrong and they break the law, they get punished for it. That's justice. Justice happens when, when that happens. But then as I understand these passages, that, that justice is, is that. But it's a lot more than that. 
justice, biblical justice, is looking at having correct, equitable relationships between people, no matter the social differences. So we see in this passage that they were using their wealth to trample the poor, that the poor were not receiving the, the honors and the, the same respect in the judicial system that they were experiencing. They were get, gaining their wealth from the poor. And this made God angry. And at the beginning, he mentioned, yes, the, the people in Judah were, worship, were not following his laws. But when he came to the people of Israel, he pointed out that they were just downright mean to the people that they could be mean to. And they were gaining finance, wealth, other things on the heads of the poor. So it's so important that we recognize that God is looking at all of us. And God loves you, but God also loves the other person who's created in his image. So other than us, who did God create in his image? Who is created in God's image? All of the world. So all people are created in God's image. And God is calling the whole world to his love and to his grace and his forgiveness. And as we keep that in the forefront of our minds, that God loves me, but he loves them too. And his deepest desire for all of us is to come into a right relationship with him. And God gives the ones who know him the best, the privilege of then taking that message to the others who don't. Because he loves them as he loves you and as he loves me. So it's critically important that we recognize that as we strive to, to worship ourselves, that we understand that we have this, this high calling, just like those of Judah and those of Israel have this high calling to bring the message of love and peace of God to the whole world but failed in that, that we have that same calling, that same opportunity today that they had then. But what we tend to do is to become comfortable, comfortable in where we're at right now, doing what we do right now, good or bad, we become comfortable with that. And then we see it as an everyday thing and just the way that life is, just the way that we are. We're just wired this way. But God calls us to be part of the kingdom. God calls us to be his hands and feet and his mouth. But very often, we hide from that responsibility. Often we are not listening to the words of God and the calling that God gives us. We're just listening to the words of the world around us saying, this is what is good, this is what is bad, this is what you need to be working hard on in your life. And as we listen to the world versus the word of God, we get distracted on who God calls us to be and, and we begin to not listen and then we actually start hiding from that which is important. Remember back in the Garden of Eden as 
Adam and Eve recognize their huge error. As they recognize what later we would call the fall. And they hear the voice of God. They hide. They don't fully understand and grasp all of the importance of, I think, what they've done. But they recognize they messed up big time. And they realize they went against what the loving father had told them and taught them. And so they hid. They hid from God and they hid from themselves. Well, I, don't wanna, I wanna ask us this morning, is are we not listening and are we hiding from God? And by that I mean, are we really aware of what's going on in here? Are we really aware of our actions and how they impact the world around us? Do the way that we behave, the way that we do, the way that we interact, does it bring people to God and point toward God, or does it push them away? The way that we behave as we look at these people of Israel, do we recognize when we do that ourselves? Do we recognize our own hiding? It hurts when we recognize where we're messing up. And because of that, we want to run from pain. And we want to hide from that pain. But this morning, I want to remind us that yes, when we face the truth of who we are and where we're going and what we're doing incorrectly, it stings. But I want to say really clearly this morning that our Heavenly Father, in the midst of what we're doing that's wrong, in the midst of where we're rebelling against them, God still reaches out to us with the hand of love. Because God wants to come into our lives and to our hearts and to help fix what is broken. God wants to come in not to shame us, but to bring us a gift of righteousness. But we just have to surrender the, the ugliness that is within us. We have to make an, an effort, a conscious effort to surrender that to the foot of the cross. And as we surrender the ugliness of what we're hiding in our lives to the foot of the cross, God gives us a gift that we do not deserve. It is a gift of grace. It's a gift of mercy. It's the gift of righteousness. So the fact that we've been hiding all along is something that we do not need to do. We don't have to hide. We can come out of hiding and just as Adam and Eve came out of hiding as God called to them, he made them garments. He saw the ones that they made were not adequate. He made them new garments and then sent them on the way. And then out of an act of mercy, he sent them out of the garden. You're like, how's that act of mercy, having them go? Well, much of the thought is that since they were disobedient in this, if they ate from the tree of life after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would be stuck in their sin forever. And God does not want us stuck in our sin forever. Because God has a plan for us. 
God has a way of getting out of our stuckness, of, of us hiding from ourselves, and God calls us warmly into his presence and has a new way for us to live, a new way to connect to him, a new way to connect to those around us. So as Amos was bringing this message to the people that they've messed up, he's telling them, stop hiding and return to God. So this morning, I want us to think and reflect on this. What areas of my life am I hiding from God, from myself? Which areas of my life have I just become accustomed to, and I know it's there, but I'm kind of used to it. It's been there for quite a while. But as the Spirit speaks to you this morning, what areas of your life is God poking on your heart saying, hey, hey, Randy, there's this part of your life that, that you've been hiding from me and yourself for a long time, even though I see it all the time. It's time to surrender that to God this morning. It's time to surrender that aspect of who you think you've been hiding to him. And as you do so, you have this opportunity for God to make you new clothes, not out of animal skins, but in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom of God, it's like receiving new white robes that are clean. Clothing that is from the hand of God and not from the toil of our own sin. And as we wear our new clothing and we still live in this world, we recognize that we do not have to be who the world is calling us to be, but we can be a people who are free who are free with their possessions, free and generous with their time, and free and generous so that we can have lots of time and energy to point to Jesus in all that we do and that we say. So this morning, as we play some music, take a moment to listen to the Spirit of God and respond, don't be afraid. Respond however God is calling you to respond this morning. And don't neglect where he's calling you to be and who he's calling you to be. And don't hide anymore from yourself and for things that God is calling you to do and be. If you'd love to chat with me, I'll be up here. I would be glad to pray with you. Um, if not, call me and let's communicate during the, the week and we will chat and we'll set up a time to discuss where God is at in your life. Let's pray. God, as we recognize your spirit, we recognize your love and your calling and, and your frustration. You are angry sometimes because we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others. But God, in the midst of that character of who you are, your love is overall. So God, may we embrace who you are and may we embrace your love this morning so that we come out of hiding. In your precious name we pray, amen.